have been revealed. Uh, we're going to continue with part two of what we, we started last week. Um, I'm grateful for, for just Tom's inspiration on this, um, on this series, and also grateful for um, him asking me to, to talk about this, this story of Genesis to Revelation, um, inspired also by Courtney Bailey at the conference. Amen. And Courtney did a fantastic job there, and I can just hope to um, be as accurate with this as he was. Last week, what I did was I went ahead and gave a recap of what Tom talked about in his message, and I want to kind of I want to go ahead and do that again because it's so important to kind of understand some of the the context, I suppose, um, and pretext, I suppose, of, of what we're talking about. So Tom talked about the bookends of Scripture, right? Genesis to, and uh, to Revelation, um, touching briefly on the Garden of Eden. Um, the book of Revelation and the new heaven and new earth. And what he did was he listed some similarities between similarities of Eden and uh, Eden and Jerusalem, and um, of which you you know you heard a few of those uh, similarities uh, in the sermon last week. In that sermon, we last week we started to track the biblical story with a focus on redemption history, right? With the goal of understanding that as we read individual parts of the Bible, we must keep our eye on the story. And so that story is first that God desires to dwell with and to be and to bless mankind. And so in tracking the story, So in tracking the story, we started with Eden, and we went to the deserts, we talked about the tabernacle, and we then from there we went to Israel and talked about the temple. And so today what we're going to do is start at the exile. The exile in Babylon. So we get to this time of the exile, and Ezekiel is among a group of exiles in Babylon. In what direction is Babylon? East. Babylon is east of the land of Israel. So again, as we learned in part one last week, Israel is this garden of Eden, this new garden, like a new garden of Eden. And again, because of sin, the Israelites have rebelled and they are put out of this so-called new garden and they've gone east. And Ezekiel is out there and he has this vision where he says he sees the heavens open and he sees visions of God. But what, what, what really does he see? He sees clouds, and he sees fire. He also sees charity. But what's significant about what he sees in this vision is he sees these four wheels within a wheel. We studied Ezekiel a few months ago, and we, we probably remember this, right? He sees, he sees these four wheels within a wheel, and scholars describe this as the divine 
in exile. Amen. That Amen. He's decided to visit his people in exile. Ezekiel, being a priest, would have been shocked. Same divine chariot. 
And he tells him he does this because the people are rebellious. That he leaves because the people are rebellious. They're, they're idolatrous. They have defiled his holy space. Remember we talked about that space. Right? They've defiled his holy space and the temple. Now, now we see the divine throne chariot leaving the actual threshold of the temple and going where? East. Okay. Over the Mount of Olives, depicting God leaving this space that he created where he could dwell with man. Tonight, he's leaving. But whereas he leaves the temple, he doesn't leave his people. And in Ezekiel 11, starting in verse 16, or in verse 16, it says, Therefore say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Although I sent them far away among the nations, and scattered them among the countries, yet for a little while, I have been a sanctuary for them in the countries where they have gone. So he's saying still, even though I scattered them, still left them. Haven't left them. Even though they have rebelled against me, I'm still there. Come on. Even though I've exiled my people and scattered them, I have been a sanctuary to them. God never leaves us. We lead God. Mary. Mm. Come on. Let me repeat that. God never leaves us. We leave God. Come on. Whether it be in your hearts, whether it be whatever. We are the ones that do that. And we have all the bad explanations of why we do it. But God is still there. Regardless, He wants to be with us. And we have all the good reasons why we don't feel like we need to be with Him. Yeah. And He comes back and He says, I want to be with you. And he, He's always persistently seeking to find a way to be with us. Come on. Well, Ezekiel, toward the end of the book, somewhere around Ezekiel 47, has this vision of a new temple in which the glory of God re-enters. Right? This is his vision, and it's a picture of restoration of our relationship with God. And from under the throne room, the most holy place of this temple, flows a river. Amen. Which is, of course, a reminder of that river in the Garden of Eden. Mm. And as the river flows on all its banks are these trees mm. of life. Come on. Along the banks. And what Ezekiel's vision is pointing, pointing to is a restoration. Mm. He said, yes, God has left a God us a new temple. He's going to, God is going to restore to us a new garden of Eden, Come if on. you will. And so the people get to come back to the land and they get to rebuild again. And in the book of Ezra, 
Praise God that all people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud. When they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. So they they get to come back to the land and they rebuild the temple. But there's a disappointment in all of this because they realize it's not as glorious as it was before. See, that's how we think, right? That's how we look on things. We want the, the glitz and the battle of everything. And they're like, wait a second, this is being real, but it's not as nice as it was before. How come? And there's something very key missing here. Now, I want you to turn your mind back to what happened when the tabernacle, if you were here last week, when the tabernacle was built and what happened when the temple was built. And ask yourself, what happened there that doesn't happen here? And what it is, is that God's presence had entered in the form of a cloud into both the tabernacle and the temple. But then they rebuilt the temple. But God doesn't signify his presence as entering and dwelling into this place. Mm. That's the first time we see this since the beginning of what we were talking about last week. That's the first time we see this. Why is that? Because God has moved on. He's not into building physical structure anymore which was really only a pointer or foreshadowing, if you will, to the real temple that he wanted to build. Come on. This whole time is a foreshadowing. He's trying to give you, get your juices flowing, right? <coughs> and so Ezekiel's vision does not apply to a new man-made structure in Jerusalem. It's pointing towards something greater. The reality of those structures, they're only a foreshadow. What is that reality? It's a true temple. A true house of God that's going to be built by the true son of David. Who is, I think we all should know, Jesus. So we move forward to Jesus. Come on. The Emmanuel. God with us. Who was to come. And in John 1, 14, says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father grace and truth. Amen. And so we're told here in John 1.14 that Jesus, who is the Word, who is God, became flesh to do what? Do we see the pattern here? And that word translated dwell in the Greek literally means he takes 
tempted. He dwelt in a tent among us. Which was what God always wanted to do. Come on. And so we've seen his glory because glory is in him as it went into the physical temple. Glory as of the only son from the Father. And so God is in Jesus' flesh. God is Jesus. But if you go to John 2, starting in verse 19, we're told that we're told about the body, flesh, and temple. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you were going to raise it in three days, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. Amen. So Jesus then, in the space, Jesus is the space where heaven meets earth. Jesus is the most holy Come on. And so in him, because God dwells in his flesh, we have now a new temple where God dwells and walks amongst men. But the story doesn't end there because we're told that after Jesus dies, God takes his believers and forms them into the church. And the church is the body of Christ. So, so that so that body that was a temple is now us. Amen. How exciting is that? Amen. And so as we think back of the progression that we talked about from last week till here, now we see that the progression of this temple is now us, individually and collectively as well. Because not only are we his body, but his spirit. The spirit of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Amen. Amen. As Christians, if this doesn't excite you, I don't know what to tell you. Amen. Come on. That's right. 1 Corinthians 6 19, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples? Of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. So we individually are the temple. But not only are we individually the temple, we're also collectively the temple. Amen. Doesn't that, shouldn't that make you walk different? Amen. Shouldn't that make you sleep different? Shouldn't that make you think different? Amen. Yeah. Shouldn't that make you be different? We are the temple. We are God's church. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, we're told, do you not know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Mm. Come on. 
Ephesians 2, 22. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Isn't that interesting? You're being built together for, for God's dwelling. So as you consider that, doesn't that change how we behave as Christians? And how we love each other? And how the church builds itself with God's help, of course? And what the purpose behind it is for God's dwelling. Come on. You know, sometimes we, we walk into church thinking, okay, well, what's, what has it got for me? <laughs> like, what you got for me? And that's our mindset, even as human beings, that we are owed something. We have an entitlement mentality. And according to this scripture, in him you are also being built. Awesome. Together. Awesome. But for God's dwelling in the spirit. But if that's not at all, Jesus in John 7 interprets Ezekiel's vision of this river flowing from the most holy place. From the throne room of God as referred to the Holy Spirit in us as believers. He says in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Mm. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been born. And so the idea is that we are, as Christians, the most holy place.
which represents people's absence of the presence of God. To bring them through our life and the Spirit flowing from us, to bring them the life of the Spirit that will ultimately lead to the trees of life. Come on. To eternal life. I guarantee you. You may be surrounded by four neighbors, I guarantee you most of them don't know any of us. Are we going to live amongst them and just not tell them? Wow. We are as Christians. Jesus, when he, when he dies, he, he tears by his death the curtain that separates the holy from the most holy place in the temple. In Mark 15, 37, it says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. You know, in that curtain are depicted the cherubim. Mm. The idea... Right now, the next slide. The idea is that what prevented our unhindered access to the very presence of God is now torn. There are no more cherubim. There are no more cherubim to prevent you from accessing God. Come on. And so we can go right now into the very presence of God. Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And so we come to the end. New Jerusalem. Paradise. Probably, I should say, the core of why we're doing this series. Amen. And we can all say amen about this. Come on, say amen. (laughs) It's not the end of the message. We've come to the end of where we see having revealed. And we get to the book of Revelation, and what do we see there? We see at the end of the story a new heaven and a new earth. This is a new creation, and God is going to to recreate all we've messed up. Come on. To be what he always wanted it to be. Come on. Because he's going to bring down from 
And he says that now the dwelling place of God will be with men and he will dwell with them because this is God's very desire. There will be no temple in the city. No temple. You're seeing the temple, the tabernacle, you're seeing the space, you see the most holy, you're seeing all of that throughout all the Bible. And here, there is no temple. Why? Because it's a temple. The temple is the Lord God Almighty. And the Lamb. There is now no separation from God. Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Sorry about the size there. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Amen. Prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Come on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation 22, verse 1, verse 1, verse, Revelation 21, verse 22 and 23, it says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its Lamb. Gosh, that's powerful. Amen. Amen. It makes me want to dance, but I'm like bone <laughs> There is no temple with restricted space. No temple. To restrict you from coming in. Instead, the entire city will be in the very presence, will be the very presence of God. And indeed, God will be its temple. We will dwell in God. But guess what? God will dwell in us. Amen. And this glory that enters the most holy place, what was not outside, is now going to give light to the entire city because it's going to be available to all of us. Amen. And then we're told told that we're going to find find there this this river of water. We're going to define that that tree of life. The throne of God. Which is the most holy place. Huh. And we will be able 
to see his face. We will have an an unhindered access to the very presence of our God. In God's name, his character will be on our hearts. Revelation 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruits every month. How awesome is that? And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Come on. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And his servants, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Grant There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will be will give them light. Amen. And they will reign forever and ever. Come on. Guys, we will reflect him. We will be, as it says in Genesis 1, we will be remade into the likeness and image of God. And we will reign with him forever. Because guess what? Jesus is that king who's going to reign forever. And that house that, that God is going to make for David was was not just a church, a structure, it was also a house. Because that word in Greek and Hebrew and uh, English means not just a structure, but also a household. And so, we're the household of God. Amen. Amen. And so with Jesus, we will reign with him forever because we are royalty. Amen. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Mm-hmm. A people belonging to God. Amen. Another way to say it is they is they will live happily ever after. What a story. There you go. What a story. You know, I think different about death now. Of course, it tears me up still. Of course I'm sad. Of course I miss people. But man, look what we have to look forward to. That's right. That's right. That's right. We have to look forward to. Look at the happy ending. And so at the end, and we see that all the key features that we lost in Eden will be restored. Come on. We will again be in a garden 
paradise. We'll have a tree of life. We'll have the river. The presence of God. God will dwell with man in this meeting place. For heaven and earth. And there will be no cherubim to prevent our access. And we will be in a new Jerusalem which will be a restored paradise for God where heaven meets earth. Amen. Amen. You know, indeed, heaven will come down to earth and will fill the earth. And so when we get to the end of the story, one thing we have to realize is that God bookends the entire Bible with this story of paradise lost and paradise restored. Amen. In scholarly language, which I am not, it's called an inclusion. What? It's called what? An inclusio. Mm-hmm. What that means is literally bookends or bracket. It's a it's like a frame. And they use that around passages to say that everything in between is one unified literary, literary story. Amen. It's a whole. It's not in parts, but it's a whole. Come on. It's inclusive. But also, it's supposed to help us to understand the passage when we see those brackets. Because the frame gives perspective. Amen. We read all that's in the middle with the perspective of the frame. And so, what's a frame that God has put around the entire Bible? The frame he's put around the entire Bible is I want to dwell with you. Amen. Yeah. I want to be with you. Yeah. And then the entire scripture is about just that. Wow. And that happened. Come on. I want for you to live with me. And even when you've messed up what I've created, I'll stop at nothing to recreate the paradise I want us to enjoy together. Amen. Because my great desire is to dwell with you. Amen. This is a story. And I think, you know, maybe not the only story, but at very least a story through which we are to read our Bibles and come to the understanding of who God is. Amen. And what He wants for us. I pray that you're going to take some time to seek and to unpack what all of this means for you as an individual. For you as a disciple. What does all of this mean for you? What difference does this make for you? Amen. As we go through this journey of Christianity, what difference does this make for you? As you pick up your Bible to read, what difference does it make for you? 
Let's go to God and pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, we're grateful for your love. God, we're grateful for your mercy. Father, we're grateful for who you are and what you want from us. That you would look at the life that we live, which is never perfect, and still want to be with us. Father, our life is so blemished. There's so many things, God, that you disapprove of. But yet you want to be with us. That you sent your son to die for us. And not just that he, he didn't only die, Father, but he suffered greatly. Because you want to be with us. He was crucified. He died. He was buried. Because you want to be with us. Amen. But Father, he was resurrected. Because you want to be with us. Yeah. Father, at this time, we commune together, Father. And we reflect on you. I pray, Father, that you bless this time. I pray these things for your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.